On this show, my guests and I enjoy a sesh while we discuss mindfulness practice. In a moment, we will all meditate together. So feel free to take this time to light up with us and inhale what's good. But listen well, because if we are diligent, we will learn something. And as you listen to the show today, I want you to think about the way and how it is in those whispers of truth you experience every single day. Today's theme is touching the ground because the work that my guest does is so activated and requires so much energy that in order for her to maintain mindfulness in that practice, she has to find a way to come back to center. And so it makes sense that she would choose grounding as her preferred mindfulness technique. And in that, I have some information for you on how to do just that. Just as the word implies, grounding is working with the ground in one way or another. It is the process whereby we do two things. First, we use earth energy to balance ourselves. Secondly, we use grounding to clear unwanted aspects from our energy. That is key. I want you to think about that and what that means and clearing your unwanted energy. It's one of the few things that we really can't, that can't be achieved intellectually. You have to do this. It's a pure function of doing. There's no other way to get grounded. It helps put things in perspective in real ways. The first part of the process is that, putting it in perspective. The second part is that it cleans our energy of special stress and excess energies. Grounding leads to balance. Balance leads to more efficient use of personal energy. It reorders our energy in a way that straightens out the human form. And it has the most to do with how we really relate to the universe. So one simple technique I'll share with you today on grounding is just connecting with the earth. It's having your hands in the earth itself, mushing around in the dirt. Sitting in it is even better taking off your shoes and walking in the dirt. All of this has to be done with the intent to release energy. When grounding, you should intend to connect with the earth and let it heal you. The best thing you can do on a daily consistent basis for grounding is to just have some direct contact. I like to do it with my feet. I like to take off my shoes and walk outside, walk in the grass, walk in the dirt. Do that with intention. If you can actually touch the earth, use earth charms, or find a spot of grass on the way to work, take off your shoes and rub your feet in it. All right, so today, I want you to set aside at least eight minutes for some grounding. Maybe on your lunch break, if you're listening to this in the morning, you go outside and you take off your shoes. Set the timer on your inside app, find a quiet place to do it, and just breathe. As the thoughts creep into your consciousness, let them. If you accept them, they will pass quickly. Fighting them will only delay your progress. Remember, mindfulness is all about how we maintain present moment awareness. Now it's that time in the show where we meditate together. Maybe you use this time to do some grounding for a moment or for the one minute that we give you. Get comfortable where you are. 
Set your intention for your practice today. Take a deep breath and let's begin. your final deep breath coming back to center and recognizing where you are thank you for taking that moment of intention with me and let's prepare to talk to my very special guest she is also a dear friend Y'all know I always just bring my friends on the show. I just call everybody I know and say, hey, can you do me a favor and come on my show and talk about cannabis and mindfulness? And I love that they say yes. My guest today is Felicia Carvajal. Felicia is a Chicana, LGBTQ, cannabis patient, a patient advocate, a cannabis educator, activist, and community organizer. And yes, y'all, she is all of these things. And this is why she uses grounding, because when you're doing all of the work that she's doing, you need it. So while holding these positions as a patient access director, collective operations manager, patient liaison, community engagement coordinator, she realized the need for more accountability for the medicine with education being the key. I love that. Having worked with countless California patients, caregivers, dispensaries, and cannabis industry investors to find the best, me best methods to ensure patients get knowledgeable information, quality medicine, and that compassion remains in the California Compassionate Use Act, which we will talk about that, and what that means to be a Compassionate Use Act and how we maintain that. In 2013, she was honored by being named one of the Advocate Magazine's 40 under 40 LGBT leaders for her work in cannabis, and you can't even tell that she's 40. <laughs> Felicia recently joined Dr. Brandy Cross at Smart Farm Research Group as a partner. So please join me in welcoming my guest today, Felicia Carbajal. Thank you for having me, Ms. Kindness. How are you? Hi. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. You know, I'm actually glad you're here this morning because before the show started, we were talking about a little bit of my stress and how I'm excited to actually take some of your energy today <laughs> because I need it. And so I'm gonna use you. <laughs> I hope you'll let me, but I'm good. And I'm really happy to have you here. And I wanna get into just this right away. Sure. All right, so first, like, you know, I read this bio, but it's, it's just, it's so formal. And it's also a little dated, uh, probably because uh, I'm in transition. So even with this newly found partnership with Dr. Cross and the cooperative that uh, we're creating, that's going to serve as a think tank, I think, uh, ultimately. That's Smart Farm, right? a Smart Farm Research Group. Okay. Uh, I've just been in great transition. I mean, 
I had, I've done all of these things, but at the same time, my focus, and I was reminded of that this weekend, is I just want to change, help change the stigma and perception surrounding cannabis. So as a queer Chicana uh, individual who's been impacted by the justice system, who has, who's a patient, who has other friends and family members who need this for medicine as well, like how do we uh, build this community? Mm -hmm. How do we make sure that, you know, and even in the compassion and the compassionate use, it's actually just change now. Like, yeah, right? it's just compassion. Like how do we get people to understand that there's four pillars that we can grow from? And they're super simple. So like if you look at it in terms of when I got married, I demanded a hoopa. Like I wasn't gonna walk. <laughs> I was such I was such a, a drama queen that day, but wait, is your wife Jewish? No. You just wanted a hoopa. Well, the first wedding that I ever attended, uh, out of choice was this lesbian wedding and they had it in their home and it was so community centered mm -hmm. and the hoopa stood stood out so much that I was just like oh, I'm not getting married unless I have a chuppah because I want to have that foundation. So every time I think about foundation, I always think about this chuppah because with the chuppah, you're building community, right? Like that's the whole premise of what a chuppah is. Of getting, yeah. When you're getting married, you're bringing community to the space. So I look at it in terms of in the cannabis space, we build community by honoring, respecting, and including. Super simple, right? So for me, compassion means... In economic justice, it means environmental justice, it means health justice, and it means social justice. So all of this is just in transition because just like the cannabis industry is yeah. in transition in the community, because at the end of the day, people don't see a distinction between who's in the community and who's in the industry. They just say, oh, one weed. You guys are just one weed. I'm going to lump you over here. Mm -hmm. And even if you give yourself a different label, then you're just subgrouped, but as a whole, like... That's how I look at it. So all of this is in transition. But I mean, I've done all of those things. And, <laughs> I've done, and there's so much more to do. But let's go back, though. I want to go back to pre-cannabis because okay. I know more about you than our guests know. So okay. let's really tell them who you are in that. How did you even come from what you were doing before cannabis, if you want to tell us a little bit about that, into social justice work specifically in the cannabis space? Uh, well, I mean, when the first time you're engaged in this cannabis space because it was an offshoot of being a member of the LGBTQ community. Okay. So for me, I always remind myself, like, even when I pivoted back into the space uh, after Prop 8 and doing all of those things in particular, it was out of a lot of choice because, you know, there's I'm 42 years old, so there's a lot of years in between when I was... Uh, young and mm -hmm. uh, took this first sack of weed, uh, <laughs> potentially a little ill-advised. I mean, I was told you look white enough, you'll it'll you, you'll be fine. In which case, I was for a lot of times under that guise as well. Mm -hmm. um, to today, so in terms of I've been impacted by the justice system. So for many people who don't know, that means that that means I've been incarcerated. Uh, in terms of my convictions, they have nothing to do with cannabis, but they have a lot to do more with the systematic issues that we're talking about with the war on drugs and how they've impacted communities of color. And, you know, what does that, what does that mean for generation after generation? So I'm guilty. I always tell people, like, I am not somebody who's going to say that I'm an innocent person. I was guilty and I was sentenced and I, of course, uh, completed my time. Uh very effectively and so that impacted me as just a human being because 
uh, I had privilege. Yes. I had a lot of privilege even upon exiting. Like, transition, yes. And then you had somewhere to go. I had somewhere to go. I had money. I had a community who supported me. I had people who loved me. Uh, people who were going to ensure my success. Mm -hmm. And then I had privilege. I mean, like, I'm Chicana, but, I mean, I even have my own people sometimes. Like, I thought you were white. (laughs) So, you know, so it's one of those things where that kind of privilege and, you know, I'm well-spoken. I don't know how many times people tell me, well, you sound white. And I'm like, well, uh, this is my my first (laughs) language, guys. And uh, I think I sound like me. (laughs) After 42 years, like, I think I sound like me. Um... So all of those nuances gave me an opportunity to have uh, an advantage. And I mean, recognize that privilege. You're saying to me, like, I know I had it. But now it's weaponized because now the conversation has changed. Because if you look at it in terms of just me personally, like in 2010, I had an event with Dr. Alan Frankel called Coming Out of the Green Closet Medical Marijuana in the LGBT Community. And there we were just trying to, we were trying to just bridge the gap and just have this conversation because it hadn't happened. Really, really occurred. There had been no uh, relationship really between the cannabis movement and the LGBTQ community as a whole uh, in the city of Los Angeles or the surrounding areas. And when he gave me CBD, it kind of like just revolutionized how I looked at the plant again. Because, mm. you know, the, it was just more like, okay, my friend is sick. They asked me to go on a mission. I'm already going to the city. Like, uh, this is just a stop. Mm-hmm. And then I get to hug my friend because I didn't know my friend had HIV. To, I get this medicine. It takes away my anxiety. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Duh. This, this is, is medicine. medicine. <laughs> like, okay, just so like, this that. is medicine. Let's talk about that. We're going to do a little offshoot because you, you touched on something. You talked about how you got introduced to CBD and it reminded you, right? About well, because I hadn't consumed cannabis uh, after getting um, released. Right. I mean, I think maybe a couple of times, but it really wasn't my thing until I educated myself mm-hmm. and developed a, re- a real understanding of the benefit of this. And I mean, it's funny that it's coming full circle now. Like I always say that for me just personally, because I have gotten to be a part of the CBD revolution before most people uh, in terms of I'm just blessed that way. And I'm grateful to be a part of that conversation in particular. And I wish we could just focus on that. But we can't like I can't personally. And, you know, as somebody who's trying to change the stigma and perception surrounding cannabis, I was like, shit. We got this far already. <laughs> like we've got CBD, and now you want to backtrack us yes. because we're talking about racism, and we're talking about classism, and we're talking about all of these other isms. Because all of those things matter. Well, I'm an intersectional activist, so when you look at it, as I'm a member of a lot of communities, so mm. they all matter to me. And if all of those communities that I'm a part of got together, which we're starting to. We're starting uh, to. We're, we're starting we're here to. here right now. We're on the air. We're merging cannabis and mindfulness. I'm a black female sitting here with my Chicana LGBT friend. We're smoking weed, enjoying it. I actually I had smoke. A, she's going to light up right now. <laughs> you know what's funny? I'm going to say this. Okay, so typically you guys know that like I supply the flower for the show. But um, Felicia is an expert. And she was like, listen, I never travel without my own meds. So she's supplying the flower for the show today, and I know we are about to puff on an indica. But um, I was saying that this morning before coming, I actually had to take a few hits of my CBD joint just to take that edge off because I had a, I had a tough weekend. And we we'll have to do that every day. Yes. So, like, for me in terms of, like, I take... 
35 milligrams of CBD in the morning, mm-hmm. along with, uh, well, 10 of those are in conjunction with an adaptogenic herb blend, just so that I could breathe. Um, and she's talking about reducing anxiety, you guys, what that feels like, just so that I could breathe. Just so that I, I mean, uh, in lieu of that Valium and Xanax that I used to take in the morning so that I, you know, that breath would uh, be a little labored. And with some CBD, it's not as labored as it used to be, uh, especially around surrounding this subject area, because this is, uh, I didn't want to have to step out into talking about social justice on a larger scale. I didn't want to intermingle it with... What do you mean you didn't want to have to step out? I feel like this is like exactly who you are. You couldn't do anything else. Every time you talk about how tired you are, I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's on the agenda for tomorrow? Well, I have to because other people are... There's not a lot of people are willing or able to come from it from this standpoint that I do. Uh, It's... It's... (laughs) I can tell people the real so that they have this real understanding and this real concept of what from personal the, experience from what the war on drugs really really looks like not just some I've watched orange is the new black so I have some understanding or I've watched cops or whatever other show that America thinks that they've seen that has given them the true context for the conversation I mean I've seen people and met people and I'm friends with people who if you heard their story your heart would break like my heart breaks every time I you know, think about what my friends in, contra- in contrast to what I've experienced and to think about that, that they come from communities that have been impacted by the war on drugs way more than the community I grew over up in. Over and over and over again, historically, for years I and mean, years I just, I, I, I got to, I passed, you mm-hmm. know, so like to, I passed, but I didn't like forget where I came from. Right, right. Like that's the important part for me. So in terms of in the cannabis space, I used to write, um, I used to help brands and businesses develop their social responsibility models uh, in terms of what their community engagement looked like. And this was prior to Prop 64. When Prop 64 passed, which I did not vote yes or no on it, I uh, abstained. You abstained. I abstained. I couldn't. I was very conflicted as a human being and I allowed Numerous, I mean, I allowed a room filled with people in West Hollywood at a Women Grows event to know that I was the only person who said, well, I don't know how I'm going to vote tomorrow. Mm. I'm conflicted as a human being because there was just too many, too many red flags. And something. I felt very similarly, and so I went with a no because I felt like I had to choose. Um, abs- abstaining from a vote for me is a different level of frustration. You know, it's how we got our current president because people abstained. Yeah, but abstaining on this in particular, even if I would have voted no, I already knew we were going to lose because it was the intention. So now I'm a lot more focused on what does that rollout look like? So that's why I've tried to work hard on holding people accountable Mm -hmm. because the social responsibility plans that are rolling out surrounding this the conversation of social justice and restorative justice is a half-ass attempt by white capitalists to push the conversation and for me I mean because I'm looking at it from a more radical standpoint so absolutely I want to talk about that because you know you already know how I am I'm always like let's come back to the middle and so right now you gave me that look like for me because I'm coming at it from a more radical standpoint that's okay that's why I love you but I really want our listeners to understand that so let's talk about accountability what it what you think it should look like I mean succinctly and, and what is a social responsibility plan 
And what would make it, I just asked you like a ton of questions, but I already know you can, you can elaborate. Well, I mean, that's still a difficult question because we haven't really defined what social equity is. Yeah. So if you look at social equity in terms of why do people of color who've been impacted by on the, war, the war on drugs deserve entitlements? Because, see, that's the legal term for what they're calling what's occurring. That's is that what it is. It's, it is an entitlement. Yeah. So to explain to people why we are entitled as people of color who is grew a up, big old long history lesson that nobody wants to sit down for. Well, people are also uncomfortable to have it. That's what I've realized. Like they'll acknowledge that, oh, we did this because we wanted to end the war on drugs and we wanted to make sure that no nobody got arrested. But the reality is that's still not happening. And it's happening in lower amounts, but communities of color are still continuing to be targeted. So it's like, how do we really look at this from a broader lens? Mm -hmm. And I think it's a and very- And teach it, and actually teach it so that it's understood. Well, because in a, that's in my dealing community, with a lot of biases. Well, that's okay. So in my community, you know, it's very diverse. You know where I grew up, you know, I can pass over the phone. I get that same privilege in that via my academic speech, right? I'm surrounded by people who lived very different lifestyles than me, who looked very different than me. And I constantly engage in this dialogue with them and it's it's challenging, even coming from the same like you know socioeconomic background and we grew up together type community. I can't get them to understand. I can't teach it, and I'm an excellent teacher. Well, I grew up in the Central Valley, so I'm not even trying to. I hate to say it like this. I'm not trying to teach the other side anything right now. I'm just trying to gather as many people who share the same values okay. and who at the end of the day have the same common goal, which is to ensure that people of color who've been impacted by the war on drugs get what we deserve. What we deserved a long time ago. Yeah. I mean, because nobody wants to talk about the racist history. I mean, right now, you know, there's so many things we can talk about in terms of what does uh, a social equity component look like? Why do we deserve these entitlements? from a business standpoint, and then if you look at it from a community standpoint, like, really, how many people, evidently people don't, I live close to Ventura Boulevard, so I already know what my street looks like, the advantages of living that close means, but when you drive in other communities and you see that their roads don't get to get fixed uh, five times a year because, mm -hmm. you know, it's an inconvenience. Mm -hmm. Like, to me, I'm like, five times? Really? Can you go up the street to Van Nuys and do the same thing? Like, we're, we're thinking about quality of life. Yes. So those are things that are very... Our world isn't built for that kind of conversation, especially America, which is centered around capitalism mm -hmm. and racism. Not, racism and all of these isms that people don't want to address. So, you know, one of the, th one of the tools that I, like what you were talking about in terms of taking the middle ground, like I don't allow myself to anymore. Yes. After that uh, permit patty incident where I got to hear Allison's side <coughs> of the story <coughs> or hashtag <coughs> permit <coughs> at, uh, <coughs> <coughs> Yes. Um, <laughs> Sorry if that was rude in your ears, guys, but I was making a point. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> for me, it was, I didn't have to think very hard. I was just like, what do I have to say? What do I have to get it out now? I heard her side of the story, but I had already called her. I already had, I heard her side of the story on opposite ends and it was just more like, there are too many individuals just in the world in general, wherever they come from. I, I don't know. I'm like, I always tell people I'm a native Californian. I'm not colorblind and people who tell me they are, I want to punch them in the face. Cause like, how I don't even know what that means. 
I mean, I know where it stems from. But you that, had like, people tell you that they're not colorblind. I oh, know. I've had people tell me that my whole life. I don't see color. But I'm like, oh, you are you are you physically, scientifically colorblind or physiologically, or are you trying to give me a metaphor for how you don't see me? Well, they are. Well, they're giving you a metaphor <laughs> that they don't care that, that that's I'm your black. color of your skin, but yeah. their actions aren't necessarily showing that, or they're not also supporting it. And so, it's coming from the baby boomer parents saying. Let's not bring attention to color because we're not racist, honey. And in doing so, you you took away the entire awareness of this community. Millennial kids aren't letting it happen. That's the best part about them. Like I'm so inspired by well, the ones I get to hang out with. They've blurred I'm, all lines. Millennial kids have blurred all lines. But, I'm not sure that they're focused on individual race and ethnicity though. I think they're more about But they the, also will tell you that it's stupid. Mm -hmm. They'll also tell you these words that like we don't treat other people like that because that's un-American. Okay. Like under the foundations of what we were taught as children. Like I feel as though they are trying to at least convey right, that, the that ideology. Of their yeah, that ideology that they are colorblind. Not like literally, but they really are their actions are also exuding that as well. Mm -hmm. That this is an inclusive space, that mm -hmm. we support diversity, yes. that we're honoring it more honoring importantly. Diversity, I like um that. and figuring out solutions to complex situations. So in terms of social equity programming uh, I think it's going to be a whole bunch of things. Like, you have to look at it in terms of the damage that was done was so extensive. Like, uh, you know, I had to remind myself that black and brown communities are worthy of this kind of economic and social development. So that trauma that happens from eons and eons of being oppressed exists within our DNA. And, of course. and you just touched on something that I've been having conversations with Aaliyah about, like, just continually over the last couple of months and that I always have, frankly. But you said I had to work on helping myself or reminding myself that we deserve this, that black and brown communities deserve this. Because we too are seeing about ourselves what they have told us. And we're about accepting ourselves. it. And we're accepting it. So that's one of the. So this is like well, a, this is a long reparative process. Well, this, this is revolutionary it. thought. So if you look at it in terms of how it's going to play out from a statewide level, how's mm -hmm. it going to play out what sing uh, citywide level? It's literally going to have to be something so big that nobody's really thought of because right now with the taxation and all of those things coming into play with the regulated system, mm -hmm. well, we have to give people the economic development and the tools to be able there's to so be a part work. of this. There's so much work. Well, then Where there's also education in the communities. Then there's also going to be like, how do we reinvest these dollars? How do we do that? The, the difficult work of the uncomfortable situations, like I tell people, I'm like, I don't like going into rooms with cops, especially when cops have guns on their hits. Like, I don't. It yeah. just, you, but I also am okay with saying, officer, I know this is your job. That's your uniform. Uh, in the event that we, can I just tell you that it makes me a little uncomfortable? I know you can't do anything with your gun, but, you know, can you be cognizant that in the future? That but you're talking about mindfulness. That's what you're talking about. Well, you just, <coughs> but, but that's also like, <coughs> mindful is a value because you have to practice it. It's something that is, uh, there's action surrounding it. So a lot of people, uh, their value system is so uh, lacking. And you know, then if we have to get, go into cultural competency, that in and of itself is a subject. But it's Your all brain works so quickly, you got to hold on. Listen, <laughs> you, you touched on mindfulness in that. I know I don't like being in the room with cops with a gun on their hip. You're aware of that in present moment. You dial into it. You don't judge it. 
and then you respond to it accordingly. Mm-hmm. So this 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 chaos, right, that we have to exist in, which you're describing, requires that we start where we are. And you talked earlier about how you are very radical and that you can't go back now, and that's that's where you sit. But you can't exist there 100% of the time because oh, no. you go crazy. No, no, no. That's why you. I gave you my Monday instead of Malibu my Monday. This is usually when I go to the beach. Okay. And, and ground. And ground. I mean, these things are still, you know, they're buzzing around in my head. Mm-hmm. But take my flip-flops off or my chanclas off and put walk around, put my feet in there. Yeah. And then I make sure I intentionally go, okay, water, you're going to wash me away now. You're going to wash what I'm leaving, what the residue that's left on the bottom of my feet. Um, I'm not big on the touching, like the sand. Mm-hmm, with so your hands, you I, I That I won't do, but I mean, in terms of dirt, I'll put my, I know that sounds weird, I'll put my fingers in dirt, but not in sand. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I mean, planting, working in your garden is grounding, right, during that time. Well, it's all about the intention of I, the practice. Well, and for me, I mean, when I, I was when you were talking about, you know, take off your shoes, like sometimes I don't take off my shoes. Like I'll go intentionally and walk in the park when the weather's conducive and I'll walk uh, maybe not just around the the running track that they have, mm-hmm. but like walk a little bit off of a broader path mm-hmm. and still be mindful that, okay, I'm Absolutely. taking these steps. Yes. Okay, Carbajal, get it together. Mm-hmm. Like what what are you really thinking? Like what is... What's really the plan? Because that's the thing that's always constantly in my head. It's like, Carbo, what's the plan? They keep changing the rules. Right. They, nobody seems to get it. They half-ass get it, and then it changes. Or What kinds of questions do you ask yourself when you're, when you're having to recenter, when you're coming back from that radical place? What kinds of questions are you asking yourself? Who I am. Why I'm here. Uh what it is that I hope to achieve. Um, and oftentimes, like, do you need to throw up? Because, hmm. you know, it's like a roller coaster. So it's like, I, do you need to... Th- I was a basketball player, so hmm. uh, anytime before... I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, I played, bas- I played basketball in uh, high school. Uh, I'd always throw up before a game. Like, it would, it would just be all that energy, all of that excitement. Mm-hmm. So it's like the same thing, like... You're not going to get off the ride. You're mm-hmm. not done. Mm-hmm. Like, people are still looking at you like you're less than. Mm-hmm. Like, like no, you got to have that gold star. Like, I have that gold star as a queer person, mm-hmm. you know, working on the aftermath of Prop 8, ensuring that my people have this I fundamental never, right. I never, ever, ever in my life, in the moments I've been with you, ever looked at you like you're less than. You're talking about the thoughts in your head? No, I'm talking about how society... Okay. use us as a community in the cannabis space. They look at us as less than, even though they voted. So that's a we. Yeah. yeah they okay. We, that pisses yes. me off because as a queer person who got to get married during that little tiny window uh, between uh, June and November of 2008, um, like when, when Prop 8 passed, you had all of these questions and it was just more like, okay, Carbajal, where do you stand? Because mm-hmm. right now, you're a second-class citizen in mm-hmm. your community, and that's still top dog. Like, how? what does that mean for your friends who don't have that right? And then what does that mean for your tra- other friends who would never want that right or who still are battling, like your trans brothers and sisters who are your second-class citizen, their uh, other married or couples who potentially want to get married are third, and then fourth class is just everybody else? Like, 
that's not a train I wanted to be a part of. Yeah. So that's how I feel in this cannabis space. That it's, and this is personal obligation, you feel, like, from your soul. It's a calling. This is the community that I'm a member of. Like, how am I not so going to... So it def- just makes sense. Well, I mean, because this is, but this is like the bigger issue surrounding so many different things. Because if you look, talk about the racist history, like as a Chicana, I have to, like, there's no way around it. Like, my people were slaves. So if you understand that truth, well, if you under, if you also acknowledge that, you know, the Americas were, <laughs> a lot of people are bad people. Period. Mm. So and having to embrace that portion because I'm still at the end of the day, I'm still half Spanish. I'm still half of what my colonizer was, right? But I, I'm also like, well, hold on a second. I'm also an indigenous person. Mm-hmm. Like, I also carry that pain in my DNA. Okay. So when you're talking about that pain, and that you're, trauma. Like, you're like, oh, my God. We, were four, we got two choices. To build a mission, to lose our identity, to lose our faith, or go grow them some weed. Mm. And now you're trying to say, wait. You're villains. You're, we're growing well, that weed. Not even that you're just villains, that to use this as a, to ship us back and to heighten the war, like the people, you know, we go through this war on immigration every now and again. I can look at, I don't have my phone, but in terms of historically, like this isn't the first time that uh, these two issues have been so close, but if you look at it just historically, um, in the 30s, all of the projects that they did to deport Mexicans, Like, you know, for me to be able to tell somebody, like, hey, dude, you know, uh, the line that got drawn, like, my people didn't get the memo because that's just someplace that they had lived forever. And uh, now you've (laughs) just taken away all their indigenous rights and privileges and said that they are. And now you want to grow a plant that is federally illegal Mm -hmm. and allow a certain group of people to capitalize on that in particular and to not be cognizant of their responsibility now to heal because a bunch of people were demonized and punished and died. Like, those are the things that people don't want to talk about. It's just like, not just, you know, just lock people up in a cage and then make them a slave for eight cents an hour or no cents an hour. Give them the bare basics to survive as a human being. every law that disables them from... Well, and, and then continuing to pass the laws because there's a, tra- there's, the laws. there's trajectory in various laws and policy that were just pr- pretty much if you were, first it was just, you know, black or brown. And for a long time, and then it was like black, brown, and then poor. Mm-hmm. So that's how we mm-hmm. got our, our white brothers and sisters who understand this conversation mm-hmm. that, w- that we're having about, you know, where the classism fits in. So... I don't know. It's 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 a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a so it's a you big ground combo. because you need to. You have a wonderful wife who supports you and and is and there we go on a lot of vacations and you go to a go lot, lot of vacations. places to to <laughs> feel old world yes. like to be reminded like we just got back from Europe and that served as a big reminder for me in partic- particular. I was like, man, this has been here since I can't remember the town was like eight hundreds or something. Yeah. I was like, oh. We're just, we're, just, we're just getting started. I'm like, we what, don't know what we're what, doing. What am I yeah. bitching about right now? Like, in terms of civilization, like, you know, civilizations yeah. come and go. So, but, Cal, okay, I want to talk about, I want everybody to hear about how to really get their feet into, I mean, we, we can go all day about the amount of change that we're working on, and, and that's why I love you so much. So I really want our listeners to understand where they can start, because we got to start where we are. So talk to us about California Cannabis Advocates, as an org and how people can reach out and what where we can get started and then also smart farm research group because i'm really excited about 
the science and what you and Dr. Cross are doing? So, um, California Cannabis Advocates, super easy. It's just that URL. So you can reach us there, email us there in particular. Uh, we're doing a lot more of the political work, so it's not uh, visually it's not there. for the faint of heart. Yeah, um, <laughs> and we're doing a lot of the organizing work with organizations outside of our community right now, um, political organizations, community organizations, to build a bigger, stronger alliance surrounding this conversation in particular. Um, a lot of my focus is really with Smart Farm Research Group, um, and that being that I can take my particular skill set and pivot over there. I've been offered a lot of uh, new opportunities. Exciting. So yeah. um, it's just, for me, it's like California Cannabis Advocates is, is, a, is a value. It's not even necessarily going to, we'll see if it lasts the rest of this year. Mm. I don't foresee it in terms of, the, that entity or infrastructure just because Andrew and I are both so busy yes. with doing all of that. But transitioning uh, with Brandy and realizing that a third of what we do is dedicated in particular to the conversation surrounding, surrounding social equity and social justice. Yes. So as much money as we bring in in other spaces, we want to ensure that we want to remind people that like you should do that and then we should also push our state and local governments to subsidize those efforts in particular if we have skill sets absolutely so, so i'm focused on that because well she's a lot more radical than i am yeah and uh <laughs> affords me the opportunity and a brilliant doctor that i want to have on the show we're gonna i'm gonna have to see how that's gonna go huh <laughs> I'm, I'm, i might have to be joining too well i know uh, she titrates her dose and so we can work that out so we can actually talk about that you know i wanted to really come on um, but anyway but, Talk um, about Smart Farm specifically and what so it does. So Smart, Smart Farm is a cooperative. Okay. So we're actually looking for other individuals who are interested in partnering with us in these efforts in particular. Uh, we've been invited to do a lot of amazing things um, in the coming year, uh, including a potential project with uh, some local colleges and to develop that kind of pilot very cool. Yes, I'm um, really excited about that. And we'll be covering the global conversation because it's a global conversation and we'll, we'll be uh, uh, going right up uh, Dr. Cross's alley in terms of uh, the hemp genus and leaving mm -hmm. it at that. Uh, and some of the cooler stuff that we're doing, like one of the things we're going to be doing um, in the coming months, by the beginning of the year, I believe, is a research project targeting... Uh, about 250, 300 members of communities of color who've been impacted by the war on drugs across the state of California and nice. approximately six to seven cities. We've got some onboard, some, some big uh, encouraging efforts uh, in the Latino community for us to do this in Spanish as well. Uh, so right now we're in, we're reaching in, people where we're in, they are. Well, we're in, we're in fundraise mode, mm -hmm. but we really want to capture that data so that we can dispel what I say, not... It are those myths surrounding our community Absolutely. and cannabis consumption with more cannabis. than anecdotal numbers with yeah. research well yes yeah so we so we want to do this we want to be able to at least create the infrastructure so that we can move from this topical which is not an ingestible to carrying it on to something that's more ingested and measured and dosed and at the si same time have those conversations with the community mm. where they're at their community leaders their their network so that we can really start pushing this conversation at communities of color so i'm going to be doing that uh, actually next month in my community 
Because you Which always get a San Fernando Valley. In the San Fernando yes. Valley. So I'm doing something with uh, my local assembly leader, uh, a member of an dr anti-drug coalition, mm -hmm. uh, who we've become friends because, you know, we're the homies at That's the end of nice. the day. <laughs> at the end of the day, we're the homies. Uh, we share the same intention, and I think the more of us who are willing to put ourselves out in spaces yes, like that. and have those difficult like, or uncomfortable conversations. Or even the comfortable ones with yeah. people who are your friends, like you should be. If you have friends who are in leadership and you're in the cannabis industry and you're not having conversations with them to push this conversation, you're doing a disservice yeah, to yourself, to the community. I have some other choice words. but So, listen, that was some good flower. You're going to tell me, where was it? From Humboldt? Where'd the, where? No, Trinity County. Okay. So, I'm feeling great, y'all. I could go on all day with Felicia. I want you to tell them how to find you, how they can reach you. You said California Can Cannabis Advocates is a website. Um, if people want to volunteer, yeah, you learn. can e you can email directly there. There's a the, on the contact us page. Perfect. Just fill it out. Um, if you want to reach me personally, I'm at Felicia at Smart Farm Research Group uh, dot com. And if you see anyone out at an event with a I your sign oh, talk about the the campaign well I'll talk about the campaign but talk about how manifestations and changes are occurring so I started a campaign with a group of other social entrepreneurs a couple of years ago called my health freedom you can find that at cannabis underscore patients um, we've collected probably about 14,000 pictures of patients and allies from all across the country that's how we met um, that's how she met the, the board and the sign, and she met me later after that. But um, that is probably going to morph into something bigger on a global scale in terms of the conversation surrounding patients. I'm actually meeting and in, in talks with um, some different groups. I'm probably going to be the director of an organization and their platform in uh, the United States in terms of this engagement in particular. So... That's get exciting. Into, Look get on the get Instagram, guys. Aliyah will take a picture today, and we'll post it so you can see. Yeah, so lots of cool stuff, lots of fun stuff, um, and all stuff just surrounding my personal mission. It's like I want to change the stigma and perception surrounding cannabis so that the 56% of the population in California who voted yes on Prop 64 but only voted for a regulated tax system mm -hmm. who are still undermining the efforts of people pushing this conversation in different communities all across the state see us as equals that we deserve this like not only do our communities deserve this investment that people deserve to do what they would like to do with their bodies and that they've educated themselves enough to know you know what's right for them what's right for them mm -hmm. and trust us as yeah. humans yeah thank you thank you so much felicia <laughs> i appreciate you this was an amazing interview um oh my gosh it went all kinds of places i mean that was just like some really good herbs thank yeah. you trinity county <laughs> so this is a part in the show where i just thank my guests over and over again and um i talk about how i i felt from today it's really kind of hard to describe because i've been going through some transitions myself you know with my business in this space um, felicia knows with licensing in california and all of the fun fun things that come with that it can be very very stressful so i am always 
grateful for my new friends in this space who are mentoring me and helping me to understand my responsibility and how to use my power for what's good and what's right. And I hope that, you know, doing the show and things like that are also helping to change the stigma around cannabis. I love having these conversations with my brilliant friends. And Felicia is so inspiring. And today got a little emotional. We, we talked about some, some, really, some really deep components of how we have come to this place um, in our soul, right? In, in time, in this point in time. And I am grateful to you for allowing yourself to be so open with me today. That is, um, <clears throat> that's a gift. So I hope you, um, I hope you felt it and I hope you enjoyed and you inhaled what's good with us today. I want to thank Ultrium Studios, Ultrium Media, Tiny Art Gallery, and Art and Soul Radio for all the love and help to produce this show. I am beyond grateful to be able um, to provide flour for the show. Today, my guest brought it, which took us to a, a wonderful, wonderful level. Thank you again to my very, very special guest, Felicia Carvajal, for sharing her fire for change with me and allowing me to take her on this wonderful journey. It was a beautiful challenge. And you, of course, you, the listeners, thank you for being here, loving and learning with me on this chaotic journey we call life. For me, it's simple. Cannabis calms the chaos. And remember, out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there.